Uh, a message, it's a series called The Two Faces of Jesus. It's a little provocative title, I understand. But there's a reason for it. Is that when the, when the Lord delivered the children of Israel out of bondage in, uh, and slavery in Egypt into the promised land through the wilderness, He used uh, the means of a Savior. And He divided that Savior into two people. The first half of that deliverance, God worked through Moses. And the second half, he worked through Joshua. Both Moses and Joshua represented, they were saviors to God's people. So Moses pastored them out of Egypt through the promised land, and then Joshua had to take over when they left the wilderness and actually entered into the promised land. So here's the verse. In Deuteronomy 6.23, it says, And God brought us out from there, out from Egypt, so that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. So we see that two-step process, and that's important to get this, that he brought us out so that he could bring us in. So coming out of bondage, coming out of a bad situation, isn't automatically putting you into a good situation. You have to, just like all things in life, you have to choose after he's brought you out of slavery, you choose to enter into his calling. You choose to enter into his purpose. And that's what the wilderness was all about. Previous messages up to this point, I fleshed that out. All right. Here is, in a nutshell, the message this morning. I'm going to give it to you, and then we're going to take a few minutes just to pound this thing out so that you've got something to act upon. But let me just, let me just quantify what I want to say to you in this statement, and that is God's ability... To bring the Hebrews into the promised land hinged on whether they wanted it bad enough that they were willing to fight to possess it. <coughs> Think about it for a moment. He simply used miracles to bring Egypt to their knees. He brought them out. All they had to do was walk. It was the only effort they had to make. And walking away from slavery was easy. It was not difficult to walk away from slavery. You'd been a slave in Egypt, God opens a door, Red Sea opens up, you'd walk out. But entering the promised land, for God to be able to bring them into the promised land, hinged on their willingness, once they entered the land, to fight all those occupiers in order to take possession and settle the land that God had given them. That's an important thought. And so I want to kind of develop that thought with you today. By the way, that is exactly why God replaced Moses with Joshua, was because Moses was a mommy to the children of Israel, but Joshua was a commander to the children of Israel. And when they entered the promised land, they had to go from being little children who were led by the hand, fed by the hand, to being adults that were going to take hold and take responsibility of the call of God. And instead of God doing everything for them, once they crossed over Jordan into the promised land, God would do everything through them. And that's an important concept for a New Testament Christian to understand is that God works both through Moses and he works through Joshua. In other words, Jesus is both Moses and Joshua to us. He is the Lord who does for us when we need a mommy, the things that we can't do for ourselves. 
But the whole reason he does that is so that we may grow up and become mature and choose the will of God. And in choosing the will of God and acting on what God has said, he can now do what he did in Egypt. And the signs, the wonders, and the miracle, the power of God will now operate not as you sit as a spectator, but as you are the vessel through whom God operates. So many people come to church or spectators say, oh, I wish, the, I wish something would happen in church. Let it happen through you. The whole message of the New Testament is not sitting back to see what God will do, but presenting yourself to Him. In fact, pursuing Him so that He'll do it through you. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So, to understand the need for God to shift from a Moses type of a shepherd to a Joshua type shepherd, you and I need to understand God's ultimate goal is to lead adults. Hallelujah. To lead adults and not just to always mother little children. That was his ultimate purpose. Was he wanted us to grow up and mature and so Joshua became a leader leading them into the will of God God was still with them as much as he was in Egypt. But instead of working externally, he would now be working internally. So entering the promised land where they were supposed to enter into a husband-wife relationship with God, that being his ultimate purpose, was all about them having enough desire to act having enough desire to step out, no matter how afraid they were in the face of the circumstances, but to obey God and put themselves out there on the battlefield, put themselves out there in the midst of the circumstance as God's vessels so that God could work through them. And that takes desire. It takes intense, focused desire, and that's what this message is about today. Listen to what Moses says as he gives his sunset message to Israel. He's 120 years old. He's going to wander off into the wilderness and he's going to die alone with God as Joshua takes over in a few days and leads them across the pass at Kadesh Barnea and into the promised land. So he's addressing them after leading them for 40 years out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And this is what Moses says at that crucial moment as he's about to hand them over to Joshua and they go into the promised land. Moses says this, Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 19. Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your hearts turn away, and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then... I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. 
Wow. What an amazing focus he gives them as they're about to enter the promised land. Life and death is before you. Choose life. And if you choose it, you can have it. That's an incredible message. If you choose to life by obeying God and obeying His Word and being faithful and pursuing Him, you shall have life and blessing and prosperity and all the things that God has promised. So, <clears throat> God's ultimate plan of redemption for you and I today, what it means for us, is to break the death grip of sin over your soul renewing and empowering you with the Holy Spirit and freeing your will so that He can inspire you to pursue Jesus back into His glory. The Lord didn't just save you and then make you perfect and yank you out of the earth into heaven, did He? Have any of you had that experience? I haven't had that experience. But I know that He lives in me and I know that I'm walking with Him and I know that what's going on in my life is that the Lord has cut off the power of sin over my life. Do I still sin to make mistakes? You betcha. Because I'm surrounded by it. And my old man's got all those memories in there. And those, uh, well, at any rate, you get the idea. You, uh, you know, it's, it's not hard. You just kind of uh, don't be a leader of your life. Just be a follower and you'll start messing up. It just happens. It's the way of the, way of the natural man. But I know that what's going on with me is that he lives in me. And what he's doing is he is inspiring me to choose every day to walk behind the shepherd. And if I walk behind the shepherd, his, the shepherd, his power is working in me to choose life and to receive life. So that's how God's working. You and I are living in, well, I would say the promised land, but we're living in the land of promises. Hallelujah. So this message this morning is going to be all about Jesus giving you everything that you need to choose life and thus to have a victorious will that's evidenced by fruit. God wants your will to be victorious. Most of us came to the Lord with a broken will. Most of us came to the Lord with a damaged will, a will that uh, needed a front-end alignment. It kept veering off the path the one way or the other. And it's, isn't it hysterical how you find yourself, you know, waking up, um, you know, on a Sunday morning before you were a Christian going, that's it, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> How did I get here? How did I get into this situation? But, you know, you, you swerve. You, you need that front end alignment. You keep swerving off into it. We came with a damaged will. The first thing he does is he sets us free and begins to give us a victorious will. Now, when you walk in a victorious will, choosing life, guess what? The evidence of fruit starts showing up in your life. And that's what this message is about, is how to let the Lord grow you into that victorious will. Let me say this about Egypt, the land of slavery God delivered us out of, and the wilderness He brought us out of as we went into the promised land. Egypt and the wilderness were all about God revealing what He was able to do by Himself. I, I've looked at it, see if you don't agree with me. When you study about uh, them being delivered out of Egypt and then how God miraculously took care of them in the wilderness, there were these amazing miracles that took place. Manna falling every day, breakfast just falling out of the sky, uh, the Red Sea parting, all the plagues in Egypt. I mean, really tremendous, powerful miracles. And 
other than Moses pointing his staff once in a while, there was nothing anybody did. God just did all that. So that was Egypt. That was the wilderness. That's how God moved. But the promised land is all about God revealing what he's willing to do through you. As they incrementally would go from city to city, from Jericho to Ai to the next city, as they obeyed or did not obey God, they would have victory and God would move miraculously. Or they wouldn't obey God and nothing would happen except they'd get their rear ends kicked and they'd lose the battle. And so they were winning or losing based on whether they were obeying God or not. So God was now working through them. They weren't spectators just standing there seeing what God can do but they were seeing what God can do through them. We are seeing what God can do through us. Now, every Christian gets saved should want to grow. You should want to grow. I would feel silly as six foot two and, you know, number of pounds, jammed, jammed into a crib, holding a bottle, and waiting for somebody to clean me up. So I remember as a, as a young lad growing up, I had a great dad. My dad was a, he was a man among men. And I looked at my dad every day and I wanted to be like him. I wanted to grow into the man that he was. I wanted whatever he had going on in his life to go on in my life. And so it, it, it made me want to grow up as fast as I could because I wanted to take hold of that life. So when, you're, when you are following Jesus, the, the natural result of following Jesus is that you desire what he has. You desire to be like him. It, it draws you to want to grow up. You don't always look at him as a big mommy. When I was a baby, I looked at, at Jesus as a big mommy. Help me. Um, and he would, did. We need, I still need a mommy once in a while. Praise the Lord. No, no comments from the back. But thank God you get the, you get the idea. Now, <clears throat> here's the verse I want to kind of key off out of the New Testament about wanting to be like God and having God's power work in our life. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him, to Jesus, to God. Now to him who is able, everyone say able. able. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now did you hear that? The words able and the word according. Listen to the Listen to the transition of the phrase. God's able to do more than you can imagine, but it is according to the power at work in you. That means that the word able and the word according reveal that there is a regulator to the power of God. God has a reg God's power has a regulator on it. And the word, uh, the word when it says according to, to the power at work within us. God's power works according to the power at, at work within us. That phrase, at work within us, is the Greek word energio. Just take a wild guess. What do you think that word translates into? Energio, energio is energy. 
If you were to look it up in the, in the uh, classic Greek dictionary, it is the word energy or the effective use of power. So now let's take a look at what Paul's saying. God is able to do more than you can even imagine or ask for, but it's regulated by how efficiently you let His power work in your own life. So the effectiveness of God's power working in you begins with the same thing that the Hebrews were able to enter the land and settle the land with. So the thing that the Hebrews needed to enter the promised land and settle it is the same thing that you need in order to let God's power effectively work in you. And that thing is desire. Everyone say desire. Mark 11, 24, very popular verse says, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. People used to teach this verse and emphasize believing. And that's good. We should emphasize faith. But the verse isn't just about believing. It's first of all about desire. What things soever you desire... One of the reasons why we seek God for things and don't see them manifest in our life is not a lack of faith, but a lack of desire. We pray for things that we kind of want or we're sort of interested in, but desire that's a take it or leave it, I can live without it if I don't get it, is never going to receive that mountain-moving answer that you're looking for from God. Rachel cried out, give me children or else I die. And in her barrenness, God met her and blessed her and turned her circumstances around so that she began to bear children. And so, faith is driven not by believism, but by desire. How badly do you want to see God move in your life? That's what this question's coming down to this morning. How much do you want to advance from the point you're at this morning to a higher place in Christ? How much do you really want to see more of God's power effectively flowing in your life? Or are you pretty much satisfied that you could spend the rest of your life basically where you're at and uh, I'm just happy to get to heaven? Let's be very honest about this question and how we answer it. The fact is I am very grateful. If I never advance any farther than this, I'm grateful to roll up on heaven's shore you know, when, when it's all over with. But the reality is, it sh I shudder to the core of my being at the thought that I would never advance any farther than where I'm at right now. It bothers me to the very essence of my soul because everything within me wants more of Jesus manifested in my life. Now, is that something that I have an interest in and could live without? Or is it something that I want it so badly I'm willing to push everything else aside and fight to have it in my life? That's what this is coming down to. It's coming down to real desire. God kept them out of the promised land for 40 years until their desire for God hit critical mass until it boiled to the point where it boiled everything out of their desire except that one desire to have the will of God. 
And you need to let that desire cook until it boils everything out. That it's the one thing you cannot live without. It's the one thing that gets you everything. Are you listening to me? Now listen. When desire hits that critical mass, it turns into action. And I can tell in my own life, and I can usually tell in other people's life, if desire for God is really where it should be in their life. Because if it is, I can see it in their actions. I can see it in my actions. Do my actions reveal a desire for God that has hit critical mass that says, this is what I want, and it's the kind of desire God says, good, you're ready, let's enter the promised land together. Because the Lord is not going to open the door for people that uh, could walk in or walk out. Take it or leave it. It's a take it and that's it. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And if you don't, you're not worthy to come after me and follow me. One of the scriptures that I've always found challenging, and it fits in this message this morning, is Psalm 27.4, where David says, one thing. Everyone say that with me. One thing. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to inquire in His presence and to behold the beauty of the Lord. One thing have I desired. When having the will and power of God at work in your life becomes the one thing that you desire above all others, then you will have the energy to go after it. David said, one thing have I desired, that will I seek. The reason why Christians aren't seeking God is because He's not the one thing they desire. He's among many things that they desire. But you and I need to percolate, focus, strengthen, pursue, develop our desire for God until it rises up. The Bible says the mountain of the Lord rises up and stands above all the hills of the earth. Where is the desire for God in the church today? Where is the thirst and hunger for righteousness? Where are people that say, I must have more of Jesus manifest in my life? You see, the reality is, is that we are not seeking God because He's not the one thing we desire. Jesus said, seek first, primary, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things will be added. There's that one thing. Having that desire, the one thing, that will I seek after. Now let me say to you this. Developing your desire for God so that it becomes the one thing is not achieved by killing off all your other desires. Do you understand what I mean by that? There is a, there is a false religious notion that you must eliminate every other natural desire you have in life and then God will see that you're really serious about Him and He'll bless you. Well, that, first of all, is contrary to the very nature that He put in us. 
God put in you a soul with desire. God wants you to have desire. He wants you to have desire for your wife, desire for your husband. He wants you to have desire for your job. He wants you to have desire to succeed. He wants you to, God is not looking for a bunch of deflated, exoskeletal believers who have a jelly for, who have jelly for a soul. God wants people who have passion and have desires for many things. So it's not the killing off of other desires. <laughs> no, I did that, but I'm not going to do that again. We'll work on this side. It's not the killing off of other desires, but it's eclipsing them by the ascending of desire for God until it becomes the one thing and forces all other desires into a subservient position. That is a mature Christian who has gone from being a babe in the wilderness to being an adult in the promised land, fighting the battles, winning the victories, failing once in a while, but getting back up again and going after it. Can you say praise the Lord if you see what we're talking about? The vacancy left in your heart by weak desire for God is what creates the space that's available for lesser desires to thrive like weeds and choke you out. That is where you get Christians who are conflicted and paralyzed by their conflicts because they are being pulled to the left and the right by all these other things they want. And, and let's say that most of those things they want are not sinful or not necessarily bad. They're just things. They're just life. They're just the things of life. Christians are being defeated, made powerless, held back, made anemic because their desire for God is weak. And I, there's no better way. I can't flower it for you. That's it. That's true about you and that's true about me. It is the weak desire for God that leaves room for all other desires to take over. And like I said, they'll grow like weeds and they'll choke out the fruit of your life. So cultivate your desire for God with obedience. Whether you feel like it or not, have that devotional. Whether you feel like it or not, get on your face and seek God. Whether you like it or not, get the word open and learn what the word says. Stop letting yourself make excuses. Oh, I'm not a good reader. You know, I can't sit still for five minutes. I could th think of a few things you'd sit still for because you want them. Are you listening to me? We really do put the discipline into what we want. You've probably heard this, this uh, testimony before. When I was a kid, 13 years old, I smoked, started smoking cigarettes. And in two years, I became a three-pack-a-day smoker by the time I was 15 years old. And I loved smoking cigarettes. I was one of those guys, I started working construction as a kid uh, when I was just legally old enough to do it. And I was one of those kids who was out there and I always had a cigarette dangling. I would talk to you and see my cigarette bouncing up and down. Talking. But back in those days when you went to the doctor's office, he'd consult with you, he'd have an ashtray, he'd be smoking. So you need to take better care of yourself. And he'd be smoking a cigarette. So everybody was smoking. It was a fashion accessory. So I loved cigarettes, but you know what? The first time I opened a pack of cigarettes, probably 10, 11 years old, and smoked one, I didn't go, 
Mmm. Ooh, man. I can see why everybody loves these things. They feel so good going down. Now, when I, the first time I lit one up and I drew it, I went, <coughs> my body fought me. My body said, what are you doing? What is that? Don't do that again. But I wanted to smoke. So I beat my body into submission. I made my body learn to smoke. And eventually my body became submissive. Yeah, my body and cigarettes became one. And, and, uh, and so we know that we will make the sacrifice, put the time in, put the discipline in, spend the money to do those things we want to do. So when I say to people or when I say to myself, you know, you need to get on your face and seek God. Ah, I just, I can't, I can't be, I don't know how to pray. Uh, I, I can't be still that long. It's utter nonsense. To me, that sounds like the guy who taught himself to smoke like I did, 10 years later, gets saved. And he says, you know, I shouldn't be walking around an attic. I need to be free. Um, but I, I just can't give these things up. I, I just can't do it. Use the discipline you use to train yourself to smoke to untrain yourself. Use that discipline. Put that effort in. See, God led them by the hand out of Egypt because they were babes. But he didn't allow them to stay babes. He expected them to take hold of his word, take some responsibility. And God said, I'll work through you. I'll help you. I'll make you get there. I remember the day um, that I took that box of Marlboro cigarettes and Back then, it wasn't a money issue. I paid 19 cents a pack for them. 19 cents a pack, you could smoke five packs a day. You know what I'm saying? It didn't cost you anything. That's less than bananas. But I remember when I just crushed them early in the morning on my way to work, and I littered. It's a sin. I know I shouldn't do it. But I just threw them out on the ground. Full pack of cigarettes. Boom, that was it. Left them behind. Walked away. Listen, God wants to rehabilitate your will. He wants to give you a victorious will to desire the things of God. But if somebody like a big mouth, blabbermouth preacher doesn't kick your behind and say, look, let's stop playing games. This is the truth. If you really want the power of God, you'll put the time in. You'll make the effort. You'll seek him. You'll, 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 you will pursue him. Or do you want someone else to do all the spiritual stuff for you? So the fact of the matter is, is God is wanting to work in our world today. Let's stop blaming God for the conditions we see around us. We're the ambassadors of Christ. God could be moving through us like he moved through the apostle Paul and the early apostles in the, in the book of Acts. He could, and he's not going to do it without us submitting ourselves to him. This is a message that the church needs today. This is a word that we need to get under our skin and get into our heart. Can you say amen? So, here's our altar call this morning. Entering the promised land was all about the children of the former slaves wanting God in their lives enough to fight in spite of their fears to have it. Jesus referred to this attitude when he said in Matthew chapter 11, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Jesus said, and in the original Greek text, it, 
it probably, the phrase probably goes more like, and forceful, violent men are forcing their way into the kingdom. You don't get saved by accident. Just like Bartimaeus going after Jesus. He said, there goes life, and I'm not going to sit here in death. I'm going to run after it. I'm going to get after it. Can you say amen? amen? Let me ask you as we prepare to come before the Lord this morning and act on this word. Have you ever noticed in Egypt and in the wilderness, the volume of miracles, supernatural accounts and miracles that took place, yet at the moment they crossed over into the promised land, being led by Joshua, there were still supernatural miracles, but the volume of miracles dropped significantly at that point. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but I noticed that. There were fewer miracles. Don't ever tell yourself that that's because that's the way God wanted it. There was a tremendous transition that took place. Up until that moment, the Lord was in charge of everything, and He was showing them what He could do. At that moment, he handed the baton to them and he said, let's walk this out together. And so how much you would see the supernatural power of God moving in Israel would depend on how much they pulled on God for God to move. I'll tell you how you see it in the New Testament. Have you ever wondered why when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John while Jesus was living on earth in his human form, every day eyes were being opened Dead people were being raised. Deliverances were taking place. Tremendous volume of miracles just flowed. The moment we go into the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, miracles still take place after Jesus rises, raises from the dead. But when Jesus physically leaves this world and sends the Holy Spirit to live in us, the miracles immediately drop in volume. They're still happening in great, tremendous but not with the volume, not with the consistency. Why is that? Is it because God doesn't want to do the things that he did in the Gospels? That's utterly ridiculous. And if a preacher ever tells you that, any other good things he says, listen to it, but just don't buy that. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, the things that I do, you shall do and greater because I go to the Father. Wow, what does that mean? Because he goes to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. He is saying to you and I, I still want to raise the dead, heal the sick. I want to deliver people. I want the world to continue to see the level of the supernatural power of God so that people cannot ignore the Messiahship, the authenticity of Jesus Christ. But it's now going to be according to the power that's at work in you not just the power that's in work in me, but it's how much you let my power work in you. That's why the volume of miracles has calmed down significantly. And so it's not an issue for blame. We're not blaming God. We're not blaming ourselves. It's just a fact. It's the way it is. The administration of Jesus' ministry is now a combination between His leadership and our obedience. And that obedience is determined by desire. How much do we desire? How many times do you come to church to get a fill up rather than come to church to connect with the power of God? 
and make up your mind. I'm going to receive, bless God, because I'm hungry to walk in the Lord. I want this week to be more effective than last week. I want to be closer to the Lord this week than I was last week. I want to see measurable fruit and progress in my life. If we pursue the Lord with all of our heart, with our desire, so that that one thing becomes everything, then we will have what we ask and we'll see the glory and power of God. Close your Bible with me. Here is our altar call for this morning that we are going to respond to. All of us have desires. A whole slew of desires. We have familial desires regarding our relationships with family and friends. We have physical desires and passions that we don't have to apologize for. God has made us physical people, aside from things that are obviously sinful. We have emotional desires. We have monetary desires. We have desires to advance and be successful in life. All of these desires don't necessarily need to be kicked out and abandoned. But what we need to do is we need to be willing to take them all and put them over here and take our desire for Jesus and say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to make my desire for the power of God in my life the thing that is the one thing. One thing have I desired so that that desire for the power of God becomes so prominent, it's the one thing I can't live without. And I know that if I have that, it'll, it will take care of everything else. And so our altar call this morning is, would you come forward today and say, I want to make desire for Jesus the one thing, and I can think of at least one, maybe two or three, maybe more desires that I could think about that right now are pretty big weeds in my life. And I can't pull them up. I could trim them back, but they just keep growing. They're there. So the answer to them is for me to cultivate desire for Jesus until it pushes those things back into the position that they should be in.